passage to understand. It's a difficult passage to hold together, but I want to try in these next few minutes to bring some clarity to what the preacher is saying to us. And I want to try to do that by camping out, by meditating on three truths for us to consider this morning from this latter half of Ecclesiastes 7. And the first two truths are about what Solomon observes. And the last truth is the remedy for all that he sees. The first one is this. Life under the sun at times doesn't make sense. Life under the sun at times just doesn't make sense. The need for equality Precise equality is strong in the mind of a 10-year-old child. Parents, I know that you know and feel me in this regard. He got one. Why can't I have one? She had time on the computer. That's not fair. Statements like these often reveal in my life Uh, inconsistency in my parenting and the need for me to be consistent with my children. But at other times, they bring to light unmet expectations and the consequences of those unmet expectations. You don't get one because you didn't eat your dinner. You don't get time on the computer because you haven't finished your schoolwork. You see, in life, there are certain expectations that we have about how life should go. And this is true both of followers of Jesus and it's true for those who are not followers of Jesus. We all are tempted to champion this idea in our world of of karma. That what goes around comes around. And as Solomon continues his observations about the world that we live in, this is the 11th time that he has used in this book the phrase, I have seen. And what he sees is not what he expects. It's not what we expect. Though we've observed it in our world as well. Verse 15, there is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. There is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. In other words, the good guys don't always win. And in fact, sometimes the good guys don't even live. As I said, he lamented this in part in chapter 3, way back in chapter 3 when we looked there at the injustice of those in power, and those who oppress those who are under them. And Solomon observes this in the world, and he says, this this just isn't right. This isn't fair. This isn't how it should be. You remember Asaph wrestled with this in Psalm 73, a psalm that we've looked at several times when he says, I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble. They're always at ease and they increase in riches. And and you and I, we think about our world. We observe our world like Solomon observed his world. And we understand this on so many levels. Foul-mouthed pagan men get paid millions of dollars to beat the snot out of one another. 
while Christian school teachers struggle just to make ends meet, even though they're forming the character of young minds. A young mother and wife to a Christian pastor, I remember this was in the news a couple months ago, is senselessly killed in her home. While on the other side of the world, godless, God-mocking dictators starve their people to death and live in luxury and amidst gold. Something's broken here. The world doesn't make sense, Solomon says. This isn't how it should work. And so he set out to find out why. And he runs into a wall, that same limitation wall that we've talked about. Verses 23 and 24, I've tested this by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been far off and deep, very deep, who can find it out? Life just doesn't make sense sometimes. And it's frustrating. And Solomon doesn't understand it all, but he knows it's true because he sees it. And that's the first truth that he observes for us. The second truth is this. Life under the sun can't escape sin. That's the second thing that we see here in this passage. I mean, let's all this talk about fairness and equality absolve any of us. The preacher makes the point that sin among us is universal. That the brokenness that we experience, the nonsensical nature of our world, is partly a result of sin. Verse 20, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And one thinks of that old story that I've told you about before in 1908, the Times sent a bunch of uh, famous authors of the day. I hope this story is true, it's debated, but sent this question to a bunch of famous authors, what is wrong with the world? And you remember G.K. Chesterton's response to the letter to the editor, Dear Sir, I am. I am what's wrong with the world. See, the Hebrew phrase, not a righteous man, that Solomon used here, here in verse 20, as it's translated in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, it's the identical phrase that Paul uses In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, where he writes, None is righteous. No, not one. But you know, in our world, we we struggle with sin. We don't like the concept of sin. You Presbyterian Reformed folks, you talk too much about sin. It's never been a particularly easy pill for us to swallow because we don't want to look at our hearts. We don't want to... We don't acknowledge that the cause of our brokenness is in part because of us. It's almost as if the wisdom of Solomon here in Ecclesiastes anticipates this response. Because to back up this observation about sin, he brings up the tongue. The undeniable, inescapable revealer of sin in every one of us. Verses 21 and 22. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Those of us who have been in the church know the power of the tongue. We have heard the power of the tongue. James talks about the power of the tongue. 
How it's a spark, this little itty-bitty spark that creates a, a forest fire that ravages lands. It's this small bit that goes in the powerful mouth of, a, of an animal and, and moves him wherever he wants to go. It's a, it's a rudder on this huge ship that moves a huge ship wherever it wants to go. We've all experienced the power and the pain that the tongue, that our tongues, that our speech brings to the lives of other people. And it proves, I think, Solomon brings it up because it proves the inescapability of sin under the sun. The heart of our world's brokenness is our broken hearts. Not our policies, not our bad presidents, but our hearts that foolishly wander from God's way. Now that's not all there is. But in Ecclesiastes 7, that's what he's focusing on. And so David, the man after God's own heart, exclaims in Psalm 143, verses 1 and 2, Enter not your, into judgment with your servant, for no one is living righteous before you. So in a world that doesn't make sense, in a world riddled with sin, mercy is what we need. For no one is qualified to stand in God's presence. But he doesn't just point out the tongue. He goes on in this kind of confusing passage to describe temptation, the temptation to foolishness and to sin, by speaking of a woman, the woman. Now Solomon is not singling out women as those with issues. As those who tempt alone. Now what Solomon is doing is he is personifying folly. He does the same thing in Psalm, uh, excuse me, in Proverbs 1:20 with wisdom. He says, "Wisdom cries aloud in the streets, in the markets she raises her voice." And then in Proverbs 7, the other woman, not woman wisdom, but woman folly is introduced. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your forbidden friend to keep from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Let your heart turn aside to her ways, do not stray into her paths, for many a victim victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. See, the point I believe that the preacher is making is that you can't escape sin, but that doesn't mean you're not responsible for it. That doesn't mean you're not called to flee from it. But it does mean that under the sun, it is here to stay. We are all tempted to wander. It's not the way it should be. It says, verse 29, God made man upright. But that's the way it is, says the end of verse 29. They have sought out many schemes. See, brokenness resulting from our sin is unavoidable. So life under the sun just doesn't make sense sometimes. Life under the sun is riddled with sin. So what's the hope this morning? Is there hope? Is there a remedy? Oh yes, there is. And Solomon points us to it. He hints us towards it. And it's our third truth this morning. 
Life in Jesus brings rest. Life in Jesus brings rest. See, the world tells you, perform. Make the world better. Life doesn't make sense. Make it better. Your life is riddled with sin. Make yourself better. But Jesus says the opposite. Jesus says, rest. And this is what we want. This is what we need. And I believe this is where this passage ultimately takes us. Let me show you. Solomon only saw it dimly, but he gets us as far as verse 18. Verse 18 is the key response to his observations. The key to life under the sun. He says, it is good that you should take hold of this. And from that, withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. As the beginning of the book of Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of a life lived wisely. And it's the only hope that we have for a life of rest. You see, when we observe, as Solomon did, that life doesn't make sense, we are pulled naturally to one of two extremes. And Solomon describes those two extremes for us here in Ecclesiastes 7. The first extreme is verse 16, where he says, Be not overly righteous. Do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? In other words, we destroy ourselves. We wear ourselves out by trying harder. By pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We think super-righteousness, right living, that will solve injustice. If I just obey all the rules, then I will be safe. Because that's the way the world works, right? But the world doesn't work that way. And to live like that is futile. To live like that is ultimately arrogant. Because we can't force God's hand. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. But that's the first extreme. We, we want to be righteous. We want to pull ourselves up and make ourselves right. And the other extreme is the next verse. Verse 17, look at it. Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? So the other extreme is apathy. Man, this world is such a messed up place. Who gives a flying flip? I'm just going to live how I want to live. Righteousness doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do. And Solomon says, fear of God strikes the balance between religious arrogance and lawlessness. And as a result, we fear less when we fear God. Boy, that's a paradox of the kingdom. I love the way he phrases this in verse 18. He says, take hold of this. Relax your white-knuckled grip on trying to figure everything out, on trying to make yourself safe, or not trying at all, and rest. Relax. I mean, this is the good news. This is gospel life that Solomon is hinting at, that Solomon is pointing to here in the book of Ecclesiastes. Zeal is not enough. 
I mean, to the unbeliever, to the seeker, to the highly spiritual and religious, this passage reminds us zeal is not enough, even religious zeal. Right? Paul said they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, being ignorant of the righteousness of God, seeking to establish their own. They don't submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. And of course, Jesus, when He was here on earth, He called out all the religious on this very issue. He says, get off your treadmill of righteousness and rest in My mercy. That's what the Gospel is. Romans 4-5, to the one who does not work but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And that's why we sing Jesus' words. We're about to sing it in a few minutes. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician and Christian philosopher of the 17th century, once wrote this. It's a great summation of this passage. He says, Knowing God without knowing our wretchedness makes for pride. Knowing our wretchedness without knowing God makes for despair. Knowing Jesus strikes the balance because He shows us both God and ourselves. But this is not just a message for the unbeliever, to the seeker, to the religiously diligent and prideful. This is a message to you and me. To believers. And it's the same message. Fearing the Lord does not mean coming through the open Gospel door only to get on the performance treadmill once you get in. John 10.27, Jesus says, My sheep hear My voice and I know them and they follow Me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. That's in John 10, the same passage where Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. And where does the Good Shepherd lead us sometimes? Besides still waters? Yeah. Makes us lie down in green pastures. Sometimes walks us through dark valleys. But the heart that fears the Lord is the heart that follows Jesus. And the heart that follows Jesus is the heart that can have rest. So the message of Ecclesiastes 7 is it's the message of the Gospel. Rest from trying to earn your Father's favor or the acceptance of others. Rest from trying to make sense of this broken world or trying to fix this broken world and all of its injustice. Rest from the slavery to sin. And I'm not denying the fact that the Gospel calls us to obey. Rest does not equal laziness. Nor does it it mean that these things in our world don't ever burden us. But obedience that flows from the fear of God and the work of Jesus is life. That's what Solomon's trying to say. Be not overly righteous. Fear the Lord. Rest in Him. I want to close with a very practical quote that I came across that describes some of this gospel identity. What it looks like in our lives. The writer says, when we live our lives from the position of acceptance, 
instead of the pursuit of acceptance. We allow the King of the universe to be Lord of our calendars. We live in response to who Christ is and what He accomplished for us on the cross. We allow the Lord of the Sabbath to set our schedules, not the tyranny of the urgent. This gospel truth empowers us to say no to our compulsions and to say yes to Christ. This gospel truth frees us to love people more deeply because we don't need them for our own acceptance. It frees us to love people when they are least capable of loving us and when they need our love the most. The gospel frees us to live our lives out in a radically different way. People of God, live radically, fearing the God who made you and has saved you, and resting in the hope of the gospel. That's what Solomon says to us this morning. That's what the Lord says to us this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Ecclesiastes chapter 7, for the observations of your servant, and for the wisdom. Father, we confess that we do have hearts of distraction. We do have hearts that wander. We do have hearts that fear so many other things rather than fearing You. Father, help us to fear. To fear rightly that we might rest fully. For you yourself said, Jesus, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Thank you for life through the Son. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.